In today's episode, we open our Bibles to Exodus chapter 35, the first 29 verses. Today's chapter begins with a brief re-emphasis of the importance of keeping the Sabbath, and then God calls upon those with generous hearts to gather materials for the construction of the tabernacle. The time to construct this special place of worship was very near, so they were collecting gold and silver and bronze and cloth and yarns and wood and animal skins. Every household had an opportunity to take part in collecting what was needed to build this special place where God would dwell among them. Good morning and blessed Epiphany Tide. Today is uh, January 11th. It's Wednesday, and you are listening to Thy Strong Word. This is the program where each weekday morning we explore the holy scriptures through which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. When you get a moment, show some love to our underwriter, the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Go online, learn more about their translating and publishing work at lhfmissions.org. They listen, they really do uh, do great work for God's kingdom. But today, as we open our Bibles to hear God's Word to Exodus chapter 35, please join me in welcoming back to the show returning guest, the Reverend Dr. Curtis Dieterding, pastor of Zion Lutheran Church, way down in Fort Myers, Florida. Guten Morgen, Herr Doctor. Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. Well, I'll tell you what, while we wait for Pastor Dieterding, we are going to go ahead and we are going to open with a word of prayer. Dear Most Holy and Heavenly Father, we give you great praise and thanks that you come among us in the presence of all your people who gather around your word and sacrament, also in a special place where you dwell among us in our worship places that we've built through the free will offerings of our hearts. In this day and age, we look back to the great tabernacle that you made for your people, that you caused to be designed to your specifications. And we ask, O oh Lord, that you keep us focused on the great temple of Jesus Christ, who will return soon, especially this Epiphany Tide. These things we pray in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. All right, one more time, reaching out to Dieter Ding. Are you there, brother? Pastor Dieter Ding. Hello. Oh, we're finally connected. All right, brother. Sorry, we've had some sort of uh, technical issue here, but I'm glad we're finally together. Uh, brother, how are you doing? I'm doing good. I was gonna. I was gonna comment that that's a wonderful introduction that you gave. <laughs> it's just, but I couldn't. I couldn't uh, get you to hear me back, so that was kind of weird. But oh, no, no, everything's well, I was going actually well. Actually, wasn't sure. I wasn't sure if I was on either, to be honest. So, <laughs> you know, that's that's how it is with live shows. I'm up here in Minnesota. You're down there in right. uh, Fort Myers, Florida, and in between us are the board operators and engineers and producers, and they're in St. Louis. Uh, so technology right. is amazing when it works. Well, it, it uh, is amazing I, when it works. You're absolutely right. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, brother, you know, I already kind of started this off with a prayer, hoping that you would, and I, and, and I secretly and silently prayed that you would come uh, through, and you did. <laughs> uh, brother, have you sufficiently recovered from your Christmas uh, adventures? You know, we had a lot to work to do this Christmas, but now we're in Epiphany, and things have slowed down for me. What about for you? Yeah, so, I mean, 
you know, the work here was, you know, kind of, there's just a lot going on, you know, right? You know, when that storm hit back on the 28th of September, it was uh, Hurricane Ian, um, we've got a long haul yet. And so we had a lot of work going on here uh, as far as the response teams. We still got tons and tons and tons of work that's got to be done in the area. Uh, they're just working very hard, all these different companies and all these different organizations that are coming in. Um, this one was bad enough that it's going to be years before everything comes back. So it's uh, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of additional work because there's a lot of people that are hurting still, not only in our congregation, but uh, throughout you know the whole area down here. And everybody's just trying to help out where they can with their neighbor and uh, lots of opportunities, of course. But at the same time, there's just a tremendous amount of work that goes into, you know, caring for each other and helping one another. And uh, so, yeah, it was a little bit it was a little bit busier Christmas uh, sure. time of year for us here. And it's, and it's going to be busy here for quite some time going forward. And probably bittersweet for a lot of folks who, you know, it was for it was an unusual Christmas for them following that big storm. Yeah, well, some of them no longer live here because they lost everything. So, right. I mean, we've got lots of folks like that down here. So, so, but it's you know it, we've recovered. A lot of people are counting their blessings, and uh, there's a lot of people that are still staying down here somehow to uh, hopefully get you know back on their feet again and get back at at uh, doing the work of the Lord. Uh, among God's people here at uh, Zion and around this whole community here in Fort Myers. Well, excellent. Well, I'm glad we have people like you down there. Um, I tell you what, well, why don't we, you know, I've already prayed, so why don't we dive into the text? I I just want to start, if it's okay with you, brother, with these first three verses about the Sabbath. I think we could have a little bit to say about those. Uh, But before uh, we begin, is there anything you want to say to set the stage for those who might just be tuning in today? Well, I remember the last time we were on, we were actually in the book of Exodus as well, and we're just moving right along here. And, uh, of course, you know, the uh, the covenant was renewed. Um, Moses, you know, had received the commands again from the Lord. Um, now they're getting ready to, uh, you know, try and come together as a community to give thanks and praise to God in worship, and God is talking to Moses about uh, getting the congregation of people together and getting them ready for uh, worshiping Him, you know, to have uh, a day of rest where they actually, as a community, will gather um, in this tabernacle that will have specific instructions about how it's to be made and created and so forth, and uh, that's what this chapter is primarily about. Yeah, and what is interesting about, I'd say, the next several chapters, almost to the end, is that a lot of it is repetitive. A lot of it is uh, the mm-hmm. same information that we've already received when we heard about the design of the tabernacle. And now we're moving into getting the things together needed to build the tabernacle, and then we'll move into constructing <laughs> it, and then we'll That's move right. into erecting it. And all of these repeat in uh in a very specific way, the same information. And certainly that tells us something too. But right here between him going back up to receive the second set of tablets and the idea that his face shone after meeting with Yahweh, so he's right. having to veil his face, and 
the call for people to give this sort of free will love offering to to build the thing, we have these couple of verses, three verses actually, that Moses reminds the people about, well, the third commandment. Let's read that. Right. This is chapter 35, verses 1 through 3. Moses assembled all the congregation of the people of Israel and said to them, These are the things that Yahweh has commanded you to do. Six days work shall be done, but on the seventh day you shall have a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. You shall kindle no fire in all of your dwelling places on the Sabbath day. So, you know, we always talk about the Ten Commandments being gifts of God, right? And the Third Commandment, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, is that gift of rest, that gift of identifying with God, taking rest, that obedience that we have. But, you know, he, <laughs> he sort of throws a wrench in the whole thing, at least in terms of just taking it as a gift, when we have a definite, definite word of law, right? So do oh, yeah, this, don't do work, have a Sabbath of solemn rest. And if you do do work, don't worry about it. We'll just put you to death. So, you know, that's that's a little less than, uh, well, don't worry about it. You couldn't make it to church today. We'll see you next time. You know, God's serious. Moses is serious. Uh, so take us through this. You know, wh why so, I guess, heavy-handed on this particular teaching from and law from God? You know, this, this is really, this is a, a verse, This these verses right here, this is a passage here that, um, had had been debatable for many, many years following this, and even in, into our day and age, as to what is defined as work. You know, what work shall be done on the Sabbath day? And, and there's been some strict f following of this command that there's not to be any physical labor is is just commonly understood uh, you know by this verse in in its truest sense and that even uh, actually made its way all the way into this last century uh, i remember growing up um in a, a small rural town in mid, in the midwest and we had what was called blue laws where you were not to have your store or your business open for business on Sundays, uh, and it was based on this this passage right here. What's going on right here? That there is no not to be any work. Farmers the same thing. They weren't to be any working in their fields or or any of those sorts of things either. And so it was it was still adhered to, and still for some people do take time to just rest throughout the entire day, even though they only worship for an hour. Um, you know, they do, they, they're supposed to take that rest to really concentrate and meditate upon their creator, their redeemer, the one who uh, continues to help them to grow in their faith, uh, their, their dear Lord. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I'm j there's just so much here within these, these three passages as to what does, what does that mean uh, as far as not working? And then also the other, the other part of this is, and this just how do we rest what what is the rest you know and and of course i'm already hinting to that as being uh you know directly uh, connected as a community to our lord uh in meditation and prayer and just really fully focusing on him as the one who is the the gift giver just like you were saying he's giving gifts here and and uh, even this is a gift but it comes with just like every other commandment you break it 
And, you know, the wages of sin, because you sin against it, is death. And so it makes sense uh, as far as how God has uh, given the law and that he expects his people to keep it. Well, we piggybacking on what you were just saying, you know, I grew up down south and we had the blue laws too, naturally. A lot of places would not be open on Sunday or even on Wednesday nights for that matter. And mm-hmm. but Sunday in particular, and I think some of that still hangs around, especially with the sale of alcohol and that sort of thing. But I do recall growing up in the Baptist church and after church we would go to the to the diner and uh, you know, I, I remember, and I just I don't remember the specifics, but I remember like the pastor chastising the waitress for working on Sunday while she was giving us our food. You know, and there just seemed to be a, a disconnect. Uh, in yes. Uh, but then there would have been like debates on whether playing softball it counted as counted as work. So could you have softball, uh, church softball on on Sunday? And yeah, so it got mm-hmm. it gets kind of silly. Mm-hmm. But then we think uh, about Jesus in the first century, and you know they have a lot of ceremonial things and customs regarding the Sabbath, and Jesus right. is all the time getting in trouble for breaking those so-called laws, or we might say customs by that time. You know, he's healing on the Sabbath, his disciples are picking grain on the Sabbath, uh, and Jesus, mm-hmm. using logic, calls them out. You know, he'll say thing, you know, if your sheep falls into a pit, aren't you going to pull it out? Uh, right. But still, they use that to attack Jesus. And so oftentimes, I, I, I think back to some of my childhood where the legal, the legalistic desire to kind of guard this commandment overrode, say, compassion, say, for someone who has to work. Or I don't know, maybe the realization that not everyone's a Christian even. So it's, it's interesting, I just think. But this whole idea of being put to death, as you said, there's there's consequences for breaking the laws, especially during this time. But during this time, you know, this has this moral uh, and also ceremonial aspect to the law. It designates the the week and the you know, one day in seven is holy. But then that moral side, it, it's twofold. It, you know, it, it tells us that we must imitate God and rest from our work. But as you said, it's a gift. It's a gift of time for sacred purposes. And then, of course, there's the big debate on what day is the Sabbath, right? And for them, that would have been uh, Saturday. And, and so we right. continue to have those debates even among some some groups. Well, we have, we have denominations, actually, that are specifically geared to only worship on that day, because that was the day that God gave as the, the day to worship Him on that on Saturday. So, I mean, we, we've like I said, we've even got denominations that specifically will only worship on that day because of this law to keep this law holy. And of course, we know that that's all changed uh, for us as Christians because we celebrate uh, when Christ actually rose from the dead on that day, which was on a Sunday and now becomes our day of Sabbath. That's the day that in which we uh, considered the Sabbath day. Um, the uh, Orthodox Jews, those who still worship today, um, continue to worship on actually Friday night, but uh, their, their day is different in the sense that it begins like at 6.30 on Friday night, I believe, up to 6.30 on Saturday. Uh, and that is, in there is their day of Sabbath when they're not to be doing any work. And of course, just like you said also, you look at 
the stories of Jesus and, and how they were practicing in that day. Um, you know, you couldn't... Uh, that's why they had to get Jesus off the cross. They had to have him in the grave, in the tomb, uh, you know, so that they're not touching anything that's unclean and, and death. Uh, corpses were considered that. I mean, there's just, there's so many rules. That's what I'm saying. Ever since this was given, <laughs> you know, the the way in which we define what is work and what is rest has been different and has really divided people out to the point of uh, different uh different religious understandings to, to you know, even different religious denominations as a result of it. I believe the simplest way to understand this is to understand that, of course, God is pointing us toward a Sabbath rest, a rest. Uh, that's redundant, mm-hmm. I suppose, but to, for rest. And we find our rest in these days, of course, in Christ. He gives us that eternal rest, uh, salvation from sin and death. Uh, from temptation, from Satan, all of those things which will come to pass when he returns, and we have that sort of eternal Sabbath. So we celebrate not the particular day of the week, but the rest we receive in Christ. And therefore, if the church gathers on Saturday or Sunday to acknowledge the resurrection, or Tuesday night, if that's when you're able to worship with other Christians, the point is to take time out to bask in that Sabbath rest. Uh, and I think that's that's always been comforting to me. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, yeah, well, I mean, understanding rest, that's what I'm saying, that's the other, that was yeah. the other piece of this, is to understand what that even means, and uh, it, it means, uh, you know, we still, we still understand it in the sense of a time that we gather together as God's people, too, I mean, it's a, mm-hmm. it's not just, um, let me see, I'll, this Wednesday I'll give the Lord time, you know, my time for the day, it's, no, it's, it's, it's the whole <laughs> right. body of Christ, it's not just us individually just picking a day of the week or our time, but that we actually gather intentionally as God's people, as he really expected them to do back in the day, too. And this is law. I mean, this is all law right there. And, and uh, of course, we uh, follow the law in a way that uh, we truly want to follow him because of the love that he's shown to us in Christ. And, you know, you were, t- you were talking about our rest is in Jesus, and, you know, that's the kind of rest that's being talked about here, that, that we're resting in Him and His promises and all His gifts and everything that He's given. It's, it's, it's actually recalling, remembering, um, and, and that's part of the remembering and the honoring of the Sabbath day of all of God's gifts in His promises to come back in the day and uh, His promises fulfilled and yet to come even in our day. Amen, brother. I tell you what, do you want to keep on talking about the Sabbath, or are you ready to move into the next text? Oh, we could we could probably still talk about the Sabbath for a while, but <laughs> I think true. we're going to need to be moving along. <laughs> I think you're right. Well, why don't we do that? Uh, I'm going to split this up, too, though. Uh, we're going to read all the way through verse 19. So this is sort of Moses' uh, declaration to the people, uh, and then the second half will be when they go to do what he says. So we'll read beginning with verse 4. Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, This is the thing that Yahweh has commanded. Take from among you a contribution to Yahweh. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring Yahweh's contribution, gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine-twined linen, goat's hair, tanned ram skins and goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, 
and onyx stones and stones for the setting, for the ephod, and for the breastpiece. Let every skillful craftsman among you come and make all that Yahweh has commanded, the tabernacle, its tent and its coverings, its hooks and its frames, its bars, its pillars and its bases, the ark with its poles, the mercy seat, the veil of the screen, the table with its poles and all its utensils, and the bread of the presence, the lampstand also for the light, with its utensils and its lamps, and the oil for the light, and the altar of incense, with its poles and the anointing oil, and the fragrant incense, and the screen for the door, at the door of the tabernacle, the altar of burnt offering, with its grating of bronze, its poles and all its utensils, the basin and its stand, the hangings of the court, its pillars and its bases, the screen for the gate of the court, the pegs of the tabernacle, and the pegs of the court, and their cords, the finely worked garments for ministering in the holy place, the holy garments for Aaron, the priest, and the garments of his sons for their service as priests. Okay, folks, we'll stop there. So we have this first section. Um, interesting, brother. He he isn't necessarily commanding. Mean, it says this is what the Lord has commanded, but the command isn't compulsory. It, it begins by talking about people who are of a generous heart. God's not making them do it or taxing them or forcing them. He's, well, essentially asking them, isn't he? Right. You know, I'm having a deja vu experience here, because uh, the last time you and I were on, on here together, uh, and you mentioned this earlier, and in fact, you said, you said, oh, re- you know, we see that the Scripture is repeating itself over and over here, and I'm like, <laughs> right. I'm like so... So why don't we just why don't we just end? No, we've we've gone through this before. Yeah, we've done it. Go listen to Exodus yeah, twenty five. I've already episode. done this. I don't know why we're doing it again. No. December fourteenth. So, but, but, but right when we were back there on chapter twenty five, because that's what we that's what we did last time that we were here. And yes, it does. There's so much repetitiveness here. We can definitely see that. Um, I was even just just taking a peek back at at that chapter as well. But here, you know. Um, what I'm reminded of again, and what we talked about the last time, is where did where did these folks get all of these things, you know, in this whole Exodus journey? Where did all this come from? Well, we know that um, when they were finally um, released, you know, to, to go and get out of Egypt, uh, they took a plunder with them. They took all of these kinds of things with them, so they had them there. And now it's now is the time to put all of that to use. You know, all of the things that you have been given as as a wonderful gift and a blessing from God uh, through um, His miraculous work of changing Pharaoh's heart to the point of letting them be, you know, letting them go and and and, and be delivered out. Uh, here now is an opportunity for them, in all that God has given them through this, to give back to a place that they're going to actually uh, enjoy uh, being in the presence of God in, you know, that he's designed himself. What what greater a glimpse of heaven even, you know, at this point than to follow what God is saying, this is what I want you to do, and this is the purpose and the reason for why you're, we're doing these things. And, of course, that all comes out uh, whenever he talks about the actual worship aspects of these these rooms, these, this tabernacle that they're making, uh, all of the, even even down to the garments that are worn by uh, 
the priests. I mean, it's, this is this is very remarkable. But you're right. I mean, there's a, a lot of repetitiveness. I didn't read all the chapters in between, but I can see uh, as I'm kind of glancing through that yes, we, this this has repeated itself a, a few times. Well, and we have this not only repeating, but when it comes time to put this stuff together, it's it's like a free will offering. I think actually the. ESV translates mm-hmm. it as free will offering a little later on. Up here, though, in verse 5, it's whoever is of a generous heart. We heard this before, as you said, Exodus 25, 2. Speak to the people of Israel that they take for me a contribution from every man whose heart moves him. You shall receive the contribution for me. So, th- so mm-hmm. not only before, but now we hear how God is saying, I'm not saying, you know, force every person at the point of a sword to give so much of the gold and plunder and these fine, uh, obviously, textiles that they receive from Egypt. They're not able to put these things together out in the desert. And he's saying, no, if you feel led, I guess we would say maybe in modern parlance, if you feel led to give, then give. And what I think is amazing, and unfortunately, the other shoe doesn't drop until tomorrow when we get into 36 – but Moses actually has to tell the people to stop bringing stuff. Isn't that amazing? They're, 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 they're so, I mean, how, when's the last time that's happened in our, um, in our churches where we're like, Hey folks, you're just bringing too much, too much offerings. You know, we don't know what to do with all this money. We've been, we've been giving it away. We've been burning it for heat. Yeah. You know, you guys need to quit giving, but I've always, I've happens. always liked that. Yeah, I've always liked that passage for Stewardship Sundays. You know, it's just, you know, I, I go out there and, and uh, I've gone out and I've said to the people, by the way, I need to tell you, you're giving way too much here to the Lord in the work that's going on here in science. You've got to stop. Just hold back, you know. And that's they're all right. looking at me like, what? <laughs> that's not usually what we hear. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I said, wouldn't that be wouldn't that be awesome? I said, listen here to what the Lord says to Moses and the people. And I said, wouldn't that be great if we could get to that point as God's people here and at Zion? I mean, wouldn't that be superb to have that that problem uh, where we serve God and His people and his, these communities around us to to be able to have so much that you got to just say, okay, put it on hold, guys. Uh, that's that is an amazing passage. Well, and here, and part of the reason for their generosity is that what's leading them—I mean, I assume besides the Lord—is of their desire to have their God in their midst. Right, there so Yahweh, go. and and they've they've messed up a couple times, <laughs> and they'll continue to do that, of course. But they've messed up a couple times, you know. And Moses has interceded, you know, please let us be your people. God has actually already threatened to leave them, lest I destroy you. I'm going to send my angel, but I'm not coming. Moses intercedes, and so then the people are saying, okay, God wants this house basically to live in, and then He'll be amongst us. So Moses comes and says, all right, you want the Lord to be amongst us. You need to give so we can build this thing, right? We can't just create out of nothing. And the people are so intent on having their God amongst them, especially as they move toward all of these conflicts that will undoubtedly come as they move into lands already occupied. They say yes, and they give and they give and they give until it, till, uh, till they have to be told to stop. And because they want the presence of the Lord in their midst, which is what's so important about this tabernacle and how they built it. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, there's just there's just a lot going on there. That's that's for sure. Um, 
Well, I'll tell you what, why don't we think about this? We're right up against a break. So we'll take a break and we will come back, folks, in just a couple of minutes. Uh, Dr. Dieterding and I will continue to dig into the text when we get back. Don't go anywhere. These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help, because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan 316. Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo. With me today is the Reverend Dr. Curtis Dieterding, pastor of Zion Lutheran Church in Fort Myers, Florida. Before we jump back into the text, though, uh, if you have any questions or comments about today's show, you can direct them to me at pastorboo at gmail.com. You can also find me on Facebook. I'm happy to answer your questions on or off the air. Well, now, Pastor Dieterding, before the break, we were uh, just sort of talking a, a little bit about the generous nature of the people and the free will offering, but there's a lot more to this text. Uh, why don't we dig more into it? You know, we have all of these different items, and you talked, we talked last time, and we're talking again this time, <laughs> that they received these things as plunder, essentially, from the Egyptians. But with the size of the people of Israel, the, their numbers— Really, they wouldn't have all had to give a ton from what they had. Just a little bit from everybody would have gone a long way. I think that also speaks to modern stewardship issues. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, the, the whole idea of giving. And, and the people of God also um, learned the, 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 the tenth, you know, the tithing process, too. And, and they eventually will, would embrace that. You know, at least that portion, and, I'm, and it didn't have to be just that, but it's, you know, at least that portion should be rendered back to the Lord. Um, yeah, I don't know what uh, your stewardship practices have been uh, in your family growing up, uh, but my family of origin, uh, I remember my father when when I first had my first jobs where I got some real money, like a paper route, <laughs> you know. Um, he would tell me that, you know, please uh, come to him whenever I receive my first check. And of course, you know, he wanted to tell me how proud he was and everything. And he would ask me, he said, now, how much of that check is yours and how much of that is God's? And, of course, he, he taught me in that in that respect right away. He said, you don't ever want to keep that for yourself because it doesn't belong to you. Just always remember that that the tithe portion belongs to the Lord, and, and it's not even yours to spend. It's his to spend. And, uh, you know, through whatever means that I decided to, to give that money to, a church, church at large, 
whatever charity helps my neighbor, you know, all these different things that my dad uh, would would instruct me about. And I, I went and we, my wife and I, we teach our children the very same thing that, you know, even if you're thinking about keeping it back, just remember that's really not your money. That 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 resource is the Lord's. And so the people know. They know they've been blessed richly here. And so, yeah, I'm guessing they gave very much of, of whatever they had, uh, knowing that the Lord continues to bless them even as they continue their journey. Right. And I, I absolutely agree with you. You know, in terms of what we have, right, I thought you were going to say, and, and I, I do believe essentially you did say that, right, 100% of that is the Lord's. And, of course, Absolutely. we just use and, and manage what he gives us, and hopefully according to his will and his good purposes. Uh, and I do like yeah, the well, fact that you uh, yeah, also pointed well, I, out. Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, I, yeah, I, I definitely, we, you know, everything belongs to the Lord. I don't care what it is that you, you have, including yourself. You know, the, the, the whole of everything that we have been blessed with is the Lord's. But I was just talking about the, the understanding of the tithing that went on in the Old Testament. My dad taught that to us, and we taught that to our kids as well. Absolutely, and that's what I was going to piggyback on. I was going to say that I like the idea that you pointed out, though, that it's also not just about sort of, giving namelessly, you know, it's it's about you can invest in those ways uh, that you also feel led to do. So if you want to give to a charity, for instance, or if you want to help out your neighbor down the street, you know, it's it's also and, and the reason I bring that up is because while I absolutely 100 percent want people to support the ministries of their local church, I also want to make it clear that um, you don't need to just rely on the church to help others. You, too, can help your neighbor right. in your midst, and that's part of, I think, part of your giving. Yeah, yeah it, it, you know, I, every time that uh, I've encouraged people to um, you know, try to be challenged in their giving from the Lord, you know, how many times, and, and, and you can think about this, too, I mean, how many times have you given, and you probably— there might, you know, there's been a number of times where we've given beyond what we really felt comfortable giving, and you go, yeah, I don't know. I think we should at least give this much, and 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 let's give this much more, thinking that you know that we can hope to manage here or manage there. I can honestly say I don't think I've ever given to the point that I've left myself, you know, destitute. You know, I always feel that the Lord always has replenished and done even more beyond that in what I continue to receive. So, uh, you, you know, the, the one line I've always liked is you cannot outgive the Lord, and, and you can't. You, you'll never be able to do that, because whatever you give, just like you pointed out, is the Lord's to begin with, you know. So uh, you, you're already, you know, on the losing end of that of that proposition. So, Well, since the conversation has sort of turned towards stewardship, one of the uh, – I guess almost, I have to admit, it's almost cliche at this point. When we talk about stewardship, we say time, talent, and treasure. And so mm-hmm. we've been talking a little bit about treasure as it applies to the people here in, in the people of Israel as they're giving, but also they're going to give of their time and their talents. And that's what we see yes. in this next section of our chapter. So I'm going to read uh, the rest of our assignment for today, which is 20 through 29. Here we go. Then all the congregation of the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses, and they came, everyone whose heart stirred him and everyone whose spirit moved him, and brought Yahweh's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting and for all its service 
and for the holy garments. So they came, both men and women, all who were of a willing heart, bought brooches and earrings and signet rings and armlets and all sorts of gold objects, every man dedicating an offering of gold to Yahweh. And everyone who possessed blue or purple or scarlet yarns or fine linen or goat's hair or tanned ram skins or goat skins brought them. Everyone who could make a contribution of silver or bronze brought it as Yahweh's contribution. And everyone who possessed acacia wood of any use in the work brought it. And every skillful woman spun with her hands, and they all brought what they had spun in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. All the women whose hearts stirred them to use their skill spun goat's hair. And the leaders brought onyx stones and stones to be set for the ephod and the breastpiece, and spices and oil for the light and for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense. All the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work that Yahweh had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as a freewill offering to Yahweh. Brother, a couple things stand out to me. One, we hear a lot of alls in there. And not just sort of all who asterisks were led, although that is kind of the indication there at the end, but it gives me the impression that if not everybody, just about everybody was led to contribute in some way. I think that's also really significant. Yeah, I mean, as exciting as this entire project and proposition is, you know, just to know that God will be present with us you know, in this very special way here in this tabernacle, uh, you would think that all people's hearts would be stirred, right? Uh, I mean, how could that not? I, I, to me, I, I, when I hear this, I'm thinking to myself, there had to be this contagious um, uh, excitement and urgency to want to be part of all of this. I, I can't see how one would sit on the sidelines unless they were just physically not unable or did not have the talent or whatever to to offer. But um, I just I just see a lot of of uh, joy in the hearts of people as they're making these contributions and now as they're um, preparing to actually and are actually beginning to make the things that are necessary for uh, the worship space here in the tabernacle. Now, I've personally never been involved with a building project at any of the churches that I've served as a pastor, but I've always heard about them, and typically (laughs) you hear, yes, lots of division leading up to it, lots of different opinions, but also you, you typically will hear stories about that kind of being the the highlight of congregations, especially when they start looking back on it, maybe not in the midst of it, but they'll think right. back of all the excitement there was to build a new worship space or, or even like a new fellowship space. And they think about all the people coming together and using their skills or their funds the best way they could. And yeah, not everybody's always involved, but as a whole, the congregation really does come together in those cases. Now, I don't recommend that for congregations who are looking to find a reason to come together because there's also a lot of conflict, too. Uh, But that's what you see. But the Lord, thankfully, has taken out the part that causes conflict, right? They don't have to decide on the color of the carpets. They don't have to decide on which communion where to buy. The Lord just tells them this is exactly how you'll make it. So he's taken he's given them the gift of not having to make those decisions. They just get to contribute. 
and it would make it so much easier <laughs> on pastors and lay people and everybody that has to put a project together. The Lord would just come and tell us how to do it, down to the color, you know, of the carpet on the floor. That that would be very helpful. Yeah, I've I've not been in any brand new um, building projects in any of the places I've been. Um, I just, but we did have one place where the building. Our fellowship hall was completely destroyed, and the interior of our sanctuary was also um, completely destroyed. And that's a, that's an odd story, but it was just the inside of the sanctuary, the fellowship hall, and, and we had a storage trailer out back that everybody wondered what, what we should do with it. Well, the Lord did something with it, and it was no longer there, and everything was blown away. So we were kind of all excited about all that. And yeah, there, there is. There's a lot of excitement, because we realized that a building that had been built that a lot of people just haven't liked for many, many years uh, has been blown away. And um, now it gave us an opportunity to actually put something back that didn't have to be a replica of what we had, but actually because of the ornate wood that was used in the interior of that building, uh, made it more valuable and gave us an opportunity to actually build back something larger uh, with different materials, uh, you know, kind of like the Morgan building type material. And we went and uh, expanded our school at the time. It was a very exciting time. Uh, a lot of joy. That's, I, that's what I'm saying. I think it's kind of contagious. At a certain point, once yeah. you see, you know, the ground break, I actually got to watch my father actually do a, 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 a building project. I mean, he built, they took down the old church and they put in a brand new church. And uh, I remember all the excitement, the different committees, the different types of gifts and talents that people had to kind of contribute wherever, you know, to help in the in the building of the of that of the sanctuary and of the office buildings and all the things that took place back in the day. Yeah, I'm and I I'm, I'm picturing that here, and that's that's the reason because I I've had some personal contact with building projects myself. Well, and I, like I said, I think that any people like to give to a cause too, and this this applies yes. today. You know, it's very difficult uh, to motivate people to kind of give to the electric bill, <laughs> even though that has to be paid, <laughs> or, or to give to just the general fund, uh, even if they trust how their church spends the money. It's still just kind of tough because you kind of want to say, well, I, I want to know specifically what it's going to. So oftentimes, you know, if you say, well, we need to. Uh, build on to the church, or we need, uh, as in my congregation, we're currently uh, researching some new communion ware. You know, ours has served us for you know, 50 to 80 years, so it's time for something new. And, and so people like to give to causes, and, and I think that's part of this too, right? They're given to the cause. Also, what I find interesting, this is a little off our topic, but from the text, verse 22, it gives us a little insight into some specifics of what they took from the people of Egypt. So it's not like they're taking bullion gold out of Egypt. They're taking right, golden right. things that the Egyptians would have used. So I just like that we get some insight. All who were of a willing heart bought uh, brooches and earrings, and then I like the signet rings, armlets. You think of those things on your arm, a women's arms. Gold, I guess mm -hmm. men's too, maybe in Egypt. Gold objects, and then every man dedicated an offering of gold. I wouldn't be surprised if there were golden religious objects and other things kind of all being melted down in the service of the Lord. Things that people probably took pride in, not not just, of course, the Israelites who possessed them, but the Egyptians who first owned them. You know, all of these things which were um, 
were probably put to secular, worldly, or even pagan use, now being melted down and, and repurposed for the Lord. I think that also has this great imagery to it. Yeah, and, and I, you know, it's kind of a it's kind of a piece of yourself, you know, in a sense. You know, you're kind of, you know, this you're taking something that might have been, uh, you know, of, of great value to you, and yet I think in a sense what it's saying whenever they're giving it is, our Lord is of much greater value than these, than all of this, all of these things with which He blessed us to begin with, and then to be able to see that crafted and then, you know, put to use. Uh, I would think that every time I would see, you know, the golden uh, candlesticks or whatever they made of these golden pieces, you know, um, every time I'd see that, I, I, I would think in my heart and my mind, um, that was the, that, you know, part of that is me, is what I was able to donate as, a, as, as actually the Lord's gifts to me. It's just, it's it's interesting how you can maybe see all of that in uh, in their giving. And I, of course, I can't read their minds, but you know, I was thinking, what if that is me? You know, what was what if that was me living in that community and then giving of something precious to me like that, knowing that uh, I consider my relationship with God much more precious than this object that He's blessed me with. I like what you're saying too, because it connects, at least in my mind to the idea that if you look at the the worship space where God dwells and you see sort of, like you said, a piece of me in it, right? I contributed to that. Then we fast forward to Christ and he's talking and he's teaching us, and Paul, I should say too, and we're being taught that we are all building blocks in God's church, right? We're all parts of it. We, the Holy Spirit dwells in us now, but then we talk about all the members of the of the body of Christ and all the different functions. And so I, I even see that as a connection. The people all contributed to this worship place where God dwelt. In this day and age, it's not about a building, but about the people that God gathers and enlightens and gives faith to. And so still nothing's changed. We're all parts of where God dwells. That's very true. And of course, the, 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 the part that, you know, that this all kind of points us to is that God also dwells within us. You know, we hear in Scripture how our bodies in themselves are a temple of the Holy Spirit, you know, as God's people. And so um, just just seeing that God is present in more than just a space, as he's going to have the special presence, of course, there in the tabernacle, we know, too, that we honor God in our worship here in our sanctuary. We call it God's house. We still connect to that idea that God is really and truly present here. And then, of course, we know that God's presence is even greater uh, in our midst as we think of the very Word being spoken to us. We know that by the power of the Holy Spirit, God is at work in that Word. He is truly present in that Word, um, presenting uh, to us the absolute truth of His Word to to develop our relationship. I mean, this is why we spend time on Thy strong Word. I mean, this, we because we know this is where um, God is coming to us into our hearts and our minds is through that Word, and that He's He's definitely present there, and He's present in the in the sacraments as well. You know, the sacrament uh, of the of Holy Baptism and in, in offering His very forgiveness to us and the promise of salvation and life. 
and then his very presence, uh, Christ's very presence even, in uh, his very body and blood, uh, in with and under the bread and wine at communion. Uh, we talk about the presence of Jesus. And, of course, it's all God's Word that has brought that to us. And so uh, as we're listening to this, as we're reading through these passages, we need to, to, to know that God's presence is still here and will remain here till the end of time, and that he, we know that he's, of course, everywhere present, omnipresent, but at the same time, in very special ways, he's present as a worshiping community when we gather together as a congregation. Of course, right? Christ comes to us in a special way. We know that he is there for us in his word and his sacrament, which you know is properly administered when God's temple, so to speak, is built around it, right? When all the people gather around it, which takes us really back all the way to what Moses started with, talking about assembling the congregation and reminding them of the Sabbath rest of the Lord. It's so important, he says, that six work, six days you can do some work, but on the seventh day you must have a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord, set apart. Not just laying on the couch, not just fishing in the boat, but rather set apart to God, set apart to Yahweh, and in this day and age, we set that apart by gathering together and, again, receiving his gifts. You know, and, and, and we even can connect all, of course, the things that are happening here in the tabernacle, God dwelling or tabernacling among us, the mercy seat, mm-hmm. even even the bread on the table we can connect, the sacrificial altar, the, the, the big mm-hmm. tub, that the basin that the priest washed themselves in, See, all of these things that are going on here are preparing those people for God's salvation through the Messiah, which who has now come in Jesus. And so, you know, these are our people that we get to look back fondly, and and if they could only see now how God has continued to keep his promise even thousands of years later, uh, I think they would they would just be amazed. Yeah, I I I'm reminded of a time uh, early on in my ministry when I went to go see some this, this gentleman in the hospital, and uh, I had not ever seen him in church. I had only seen him on the books, you know. And so we were having a conversation. He says, "I bet you're surprised to see me." I said, "I'm just, I'm just, yeah, I'm just excited to get to meet you." <laughs> and so we'd had conversation. He goes, "Yeah, you'll never see me in church on Sunday because." The world is my church. I like to go out and, and rest by fishing and golfing and all the different ways in which the Lord has blessed me to enjoy this world of His. And He said, "So you'll never, you'll never see me cooped up in the church with everybody else." And I'm like, "Wow, you know that's this is just like totally, totally against what God had in mind for His people when He's talking about." a Sabbath rest. He's talking about a community, and like you said before, the church is not brick and mortar. It is the people, and it's the people coming together, congregating. I mean, that's exactly what God refers to us as, as his people, as a congregation. Uh, those who commune in a community, we are one uh, in a com- community in our faith as a result of what God has done. Uh, it's so sad to hear uh, those kinds of comments uh, because it makes me very sad 
to, to and it and makes me kind of wonder, you know, where have I failed? <laughs> did, did I not get the word out, or have, have the pastors not been preaching clear enough about what God's church is really, truly all about? And it's about God's people together, not not individual spirituality where we just kind of decide and determine how we're going to have that relationship with our Lord, um, but rather we need to honor, respect that Sabbath day and all that the Lord asks us to do as, as people coming together to be served by Him. Hey, I think this is also why it's important that we emphasize and and remind people that God comes to us in a very special way through his true body and blood. That's why the real presence and understanding that the Bible teaches a true presence of Jesus in the sacrament is so important because you can't get that on the fishing boat. You can't get that hiking through the woods. You can't get that on the couch. You can't get it watching church on TV or the Internet. It's only given in the congregation of the people. God comes to us in these cathartic ways. So, you know, that that type of attitude reminds me it'd be, it'd be the same as saying, well, you know, honey, I'm not going to eat any of your dinners because, you know, I, there's so many fast food restaurants out in the world. I'll just eat out in the world, and I'm never going to come home and eat your dinner. Well, that relationship's not going to last very long. Oh, my. So no to, kidding. <laughs> so to say to the Lord, I don't want what you offer in worship. I'll just take worship wherever I can get it. I'll create my own worship. Well, now we're getting back into Aaron creating the golden idol, right? Now, this is where mm-hmm. God, Yahweh, dwells, on the top of this idol, not in where he promises. And then we get into some big, tough trouble. Yeah, and so that's tough, and it's tough, and we just want to remind those people that God wants more for them. As much as you might like fishing, believe it or not, the entire uh, uh, communion of saints is gathered around that our, our, uh, pardon me, gathered around that altar, and you receive on your very on your tongue, the very body and blood of Jesus that hung on the cross, you you can't get that anywhere else. And so that's 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 what's tough to sometimes for people to understand. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you hit the the nail on the head about the 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 whole, you know, worshiping of the golden calf because that's that's worshiping something that's in creation that God has made. We're not to worship the things in creation; we worship God, the the one who created all things, and. And that's exactly right. Uh, and then to 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 speak in that manner has made, just like you said, has made something that God has created for our good uh, to become our God rather than Him. And that's that's exactly uh, what that kind of conversation, that kind of attitude, that kind of understanding of of being in a relationship with God is all about. It's still all about myself. Because this is the way I'm going to worship God. You know, it's not it's not about God because God gives us specifically a way in which to worship Him, and He's asked us to to do this in a way that truly honors Him and honors the very day that He asks us to do it on. So, yeah, there's a lot there. There's a lot we could we could do an entire uh, show on just that. We absolutely could, but this show, unfortunately, has come to an end today, so I'd like to thank my guest for another great conversation, the Reverend Dr. Curtis Dieterding, pastor of Zion Lutheran Church in Fort Myers, Florida. Pastor, thanks for being on the show again. It's always a joy, Pastor Boo. Thanks for having me. And folks, don't forget, the first Friday of each month will be Free Text Fridays. We'll be stepping away from whatever book we're covering to talk about a special topic. The first one is this Friday. Yeah, I know, it's the second Friday, but be sure to tune in as we'll be looking at the liturgy 
uh, one show only, specifically the parts of the liturgy that come not from the 66 canonical books of the Bible, but the Apocrypha. That should be interesting. My guest will be the Reverend Amadeus Gandhi, who will guide us in this discussion. But tomorrow, tune in because we're still in Exodus, and we'll finish up chapter 35 and move into 36 as finally the construction begins. Until then, may God's peace and blessings be with you all as we pray, Father, keep us in thy strong word.